So, just feel this morning God wants to um, impart wisdom. And so, uh, are you ready for it? Uh, you can close your eyes, stand on your head, lie down, uh, whatever is appropriate for you this morning. Um, all of us need wisdom, don't we? All of us need to wisdom. Well, we need to know what Jesus thinks. You know that phrase, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, here's a new one. What does Jesus think? What's he thinking at the moment? Not just what he's doing, although, you know, thought in a sense is an action uh, in a kind of way. But just just look through your life at the moment. You can, again, close your eyes if it, if it helps. What situations do you need wisdom in? In fact, let the Holy Spirit just reveal to you again. Some of you, some of you may be rushing to that, that anxiety, that worry, uh, that conflict, that uh, problem situation in your life. And it uh, may be in your family, maybe in your personal life, maybe in your community. Maybe in your workplace. Highly likely that somewhere, some of you might be involved in the nation or national issues that just constantly bug you. Or, you know, uh, and often when things are bugging us, sometimes that's the Holy Spirit saying, come on, I want to give you a download. I want to give you some wisdom about that. So Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you love to impart your wisdom <laughs> on all kind of levels. <laughs> so Father, just just give us the answer and or answers that we are desiring from you. Amen. Let's go and get coffee. That's it. That's all you need to know this morning. That if you lack wisdom, then what does James say in 1 verse 3? Ask for it, and he will give it. He will give it. And later on in chapter 3, he talks about how glorious that wisdom is. Peaceful, submissive, considerate, and and several other things that come to mind quite readily at the moment. But you can look it up in chapter 3. God's wisdom is freely available. And it's interesting, if you look at the history of Israel, how, you know, they, they came into the promised land... Uh, and, you know, Joshua, and you had judges, they conquered, for the most part, the, you know, the promised land. A king is established, Saul first, and then David, and then, of course, Solomon. And so the nation of Israel comes into its freedom. Remember, they, several uh, generations, or a couple of generations before, they had been enslaved in Egypt. So here's a people for the first time enjoying their freedom. And isn't it interesting that in that, you know, in that freedom, that, there is an outbreak of wisdom. So if you know anything about biblical literature, you'll know that at that time, that time especially in the time of uh, Solomon, although it really starts with David as well, many of the Psalms that David writes are actually Psalms containing a lot of wisdom. And so reading the Psalms is good for you if you want to get into God's wisdom. But then you get Solomon and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. 
Some even date the book of Job, although nobody really knows. Job's a bit of a mystery in all kinds of ways. And uh, nobody actually knows where it is, but possibly that might have been there as well. So why is it that you get this kind of outbreak of wisdom and what we call now wisdom literature? It's a whole chunk of the Bible. You've got law and prophets, gospels and epistles, and you've got wisdom. And much of it is contained in, in those books. And it's interesting, isn't it? The more freedom that you come into, and that's one of our key words for our life in you know, the church at Eastgate, the more freedom you come into, the more wisdom you need. How do you lead a free people? Well, you lead it with wisdom. One of the Living Fire leaders visited us and stayed with us the last, the last conference, and uh, we went well into the early hours trying to answer a question that he asked us, and that was simply this. How do eight elders or directors, how do you manage to work together? <laughs> you know, I don't think anybody had ever asked me that question, at least not quite so directly. So I'm kind of fumbling about asking God for wisdom uh, to actually reflect on that. And it was fascinating. I remember sort of having gone through all sorts of interesting details and then... Uh, it was Andy Merrick actually, Andy went to our loo and as he's going to the loo and I said, oh by the way, uh, we also love each other. Forgot to put that one in. <laughs> how, how do we achieve what we seem to achieve? How do we as a church maintain our unity? Well it is a unity in the spirit and the spirit gives wisdom. And time after time after time, we've had decisions to make, whether it's about buildings or individuals or groups or church structures or, you know, how we relate to the community, what we do, what initiatives we take on. I was going to say what initiatives we don't take on, but, you know, if that was on a balance, I think, you know, you probably feel, you know, the initiative balance is quite high here. The ones we don't take on is quite low. It all requires wisdom. And so... What I want to do now, uh, both today, really, today is just a kind of start, so I'm feeling quite relaxed. If I get to 25 past, off which we're going to pray, uh, and we've only just started the subject, don't panic. There is actually a, t- um, a talk in the evening uh, program, be on the podcast on the, on the website, uh, where I actually start to broach this subject in the evening from a slightly different angle. Um, and actually, many passages kind of uh, suggest themselves, particularly in the Old Testament, because you've got all that wisdom literature. But actually, we're going to start this morning in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. Now, this is a... It's, I mean, it's, it's a, anybody says these are great chapters of the Bible, in the back of my mind, yeah, well, they're all great chapters, aren't they? But anyway... Um, <laughs> But these chapters, God uh, spoke through a prophetic word to to Pete uh, and through Pete to to us that the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians were a very strategic uh, reading that we should get into, a very strategic group of chapters. So why don't you turn to me to those? And just briefly, the context, of course, is the church in, in Corinth. And to put it frankly, things were in a mess. There is chaos in Corinth. If you know anything about Corinth, you know, whether it's incestuous relationships, whether it's divisions, whether it's, uh, you know, lots of spiritual gifts, but they weren't really handling them properly. There was a lack of love, all sorts of things going on. You won't need me to kind of introduce you to some of the problems of Corinth. 
Um, if you ever want to think, well, how's your church doing? doing? How's Eastgate doing? Well, just read 1 Corinthians. It will cheer you up, no end. You think, well, it can't be as bad as that. <laughs> so, Paul is absolutely in despair, isn't it? In verse 10, although he starts very, well, you know, he does start very positive, and it's not to take anything away from those positive comments he makes. You know, the spirit has come on the Corinthians. That's their best hope. And uh, they are full of knowledge, full of spiritual gifts. But in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thoughts. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? That's a very telling phrase, isn't it? So it's a bit like here saying, you know, people say, I follow Pete. I follow David. No, I follow Tim. I follow the other David. Which David do I follow? Well, take your pick. There's quite a few of them. And, and uh, actually, we, today we have planned to get together sometime just to lead a little... No, we haven't. <laughs> and... Uh, there seem to be quite a lot of marks around these days. Any, anybody a mark here? I don't want the marks to be taking over, but you know. Anybody knows. What's so powerful about Paul's criticism that he could even say something like that, isn't it? Was Paul crucified for you? Well, that's nonsense. Of course he wasn't. And yet it's shocking, if you think about it, that Paul should even say that. It's a bit like myself or Pete or Donna or Tim saying, I was crucified for you. What's Paul doing here? He's holding up a mirror to how bad things are amongst them. How divided they have become. That they could, that he could even, you know, put this suggestion to them. And of course he means it ironically, he doesn't actually mean it, but the fact that he does gives you some idea of what's going there. Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize you, and so he goes on. In verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize you, but to preach the gospel. Not with the words of human wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. So we're going to carry on reading. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise... The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased with the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is your righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear, and with much trembling. My message and my preaching was not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not, might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before the time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Say with me, by his spirit. Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Within him? In the same way, no one who knows the thoughts of God can, uh, of God except, sorry, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritual man makes judgments about all things. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now you need the Holy Spirit to understand that passage, don't you? (laughs) So he is coming now to explain it to you. He's invited me to help him, which is a great privilege. Uh, As the Holy speaks to you now, you're going to get revelation about this passage because God loves to bless preaching and he loves to give wisdom. So if this is a kind of deep passage, and it is, then you'll need to know how to understand it. And maybe we'll give you one or two clues, hopefully this morning, to do that. If this is super cringy for you, you don't have to do it because we live in a free house. But if you'd like, I'd like to invite you just to place your hand. Maybe put two hands because you're going to be super anointed. Okay, and just say, I have the mind of Christ. Right. Let's say this together. Keep your hands up there if you want. Oh. <laughs> it's David Zumba class in a minute. We, we have the mind of Christ. Again, if you're still with me, which most of you seem to be, look at one another and just say, we have 
the mind of Christ. You can put your hands down. Now, first point, right there, you have it. Paul is saying that. It's interesting when you read some of the commentaries of it, they really struggle at this point. They explain all these verses and then you get to the climax, which on this occasion is one of those occasions where I think the, the mess, you know, the, the heart of the message is at the end of the passage rather than in the middle, although you could argue that. But here he is saying, you, we, together, have the mind of Christ. Now don't lose it because you're saying, oh well it's everybody, isn't it? So. You know, we, we, we tend to do that with truths. Well, everybody's kind of got it, so I've just got a little bit of it. And so, you know, my little bit of wisdom, I just contribute. Little old me in my small corner. There are no little Christians. You are not a little Christian. You do not have a small mind. Well, you don't know me, David. No, I don't. <laughs> you may have been small-minded in the past. You may have thought in small ways. But now you have, in fact, you had this on the day you were born again. You got the mind of Christ. And that's wisdom to you. Right? Where does wisdom start? Well, you know, the book of Proverbs is amazing. Ecclesiastes is puzzling. Uh, the Song of Songs is passionate. Wisdom. Sorry, Ecclesiastes is a great book. But, <laughs> but your wisdom starts because you have Christ in you. And if that is to really mean more than just a, a phrase or a kind of position that you have, you have the mind of Christ. You carry around in you, you can think the things of God, uh, think the thoughts, think the things, think the thoughts of God. And you might wonder why does Paul stress that this wisdom is not worldly wisdom? Well, because this wisdom is not worldly wisdom. I've been doing this for a couple of weeks now. I just repeat what I've just said because that's all in one sense. On one level, there is all to say about it. Now, think about this. This is the backdrop to where Paul is teaching is Corinth. It's Greek culture. This is the culture that has been, you know, infect, infected, probably infected. Yes, it's probably a good word by Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, great thinkers. In fact, Corinth was a, was a, <laughs> Is that right? (laughs) Holy Spirit, can I call it that? Okay, it's a cesspit. A cesspit of worldly thinking. Now that's not to say it's clever. It's not clever, because it is. That's not to say you can't learn something from it, because it is. This is not to rubbish education. Paul isn't rubbishing education. He's not saying, don't do degrees or MAs or PhDs. Hallelujah. (laughs) He's not saying that. What he's saying is that much of that is worldly wisdom. And there's a wisdom here, and this wisdom is really special. It's so special, it's offensive. I think Dave Foggin was, a little while ago, was talking about offense. And whenever you get offended, you've got to think, why am I getting offended? And often we get offended by things which actually turn out to be the truth. So Paul here says, what is the wisdom of Christ and Christ crucified in particular? It's foolishness to the Greeks and it's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's a stumbling block to the Jews because the Messiah shouldn't have been crucified. Cursed is the man that hangs on the tree. So that's what offended the Jews. So it was an offense to the Jews, a stumbling block. But it was foolishness to Greeks because how can you believe in somebody who's just died? 
How can you believe in a leader who just surrenders his life, you know, gives himself away, goes into trouble, so, you know, and, and spends all of his ministry telling his disciples that that's what's going to happen? How crazy is that? You know, some of our politicians commit sort of political suicide, but they don't do it intentionally. Whatever you think happened this week. <laughs> they didn't intend to do it, did it? Jesus intended to die. Why? Because the wisdom of God is more powerful than the wisdom of men. It appears foolishness. So when you're talking to people, just remember that, when you're preaching the gospel about the death and resurrection of Jesus to your friends, and they go, what? Well, there yeah, right there. That's 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 for you. Right there. Yeah, come on. Hallelujah. You're on the right track. When people get puzzled, when people get offended, when people reject you, rejoice, Jesus says. In Matthew 5, doesn't he? Rejoice. When you're rejected and people say all manner of bad things about you. Why? Because you're preaching the wisdom of God, which is a stumbling block to the Jews, and it's still foolishness to Greek people. And much of our thinking, our intellectual thinking, is based on Greek thinking. You know, our education system is, is based around Greek concepts. And so... When the gospel lands on our minds, it offends. When a gospel offend, uh, comes on our minds, it seems like foolishness. But it's pure wisdom. From heaven. Jesus came from heaven. Died so that we can go to heaven. That's wisdom, isn't it? Just to elaborate a bit more on the wisdom, put G, uh, in this passage it says, in uh, chapter 1, verse 30, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. Christ is our wisdom. So all that stuff in the Gospels, right? That's, <laughs> just wrapping that up in one sentence. That's the wisdom of God. That's the wisdom of God revealed. The mystery that Paul is talking about in this passage is no longer a mystery. It's been revealed. So though sometimes we take those verses in uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. Primarily, that's not talking about a mystery that we've yet to find. That's the mystery of the gospel that's now been revealed that Jesus has come. And Jesus is our wisdom. It, so having the mind of Christ means we are full of wisdom. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are full of wisdom. Didn't sound very convincing. Do it again. You are full of wisdom. You are the wisest person around. You know, we can all tap into the internet, can't we? We carry, these days we carry so much wisdom around with us in this little black box that slips into your pocket. Dare I say, although, you know, there's lots of Christian stuff on, on the internet, internet, so there's a bit of an overlap. Dare I say, there is far more wisdom available to you immediately on tap from the Holy Spirit than you'll ever find on the internet. Only in as much as, obviously, the Bible is on the internet as well. So, you know, kind of, there is a kind of overlap. I understand that. But you know what I mean? 
Sometimes you can't Google how to get out of a difficult situation. You can't Google a word of knowledge. You can't Google how do you handle that thing in your family. Now you can read books about it and you can do that sort of thing. And those are part of God's wisdom. What other people have written, what other people preach. That's how you get God wisdom. But why don't you go to the source? Isn't that what Paul is saying? When we came, we preached Christ crucified, and that's the wisdom of God, and it's the power of God. And your faith is going to be established. Their faith in, in, uh, you know, in Corinth, in your faith is established on how God powerfully came into your life. It wasn't just a good idea. It changed you. And the preaching of the gospel released miracles. So the context of those verses where it says about the power can both contain the power of the gospel. Right, I'm wrapping up here. Years and years of controversy, by the way. Just uh, just bear with me for a moment. But uh, the power of the gospel and the release of signs and wonders. Because the gospel is always attended, or should always be attended, with signs and wonders. It's in the mercy of God that people get saved without the signs and wonders. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't have them. There you go. That's a couple of centuries of British history, uh, Christian history wrapped up in one. Okay? So when we, when we read that Christ is both the wisdom and the power of God, is because he comes powerfully. And so we would expect that when wisdom arrives, we go, wow, what was that? I'll give you five ways you can get wisdom. Are you ready for this? One, one should be self-evident, isn't it? You ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. Yeah. Ask him. He's, he's right there next to you. You know, sometimes, I, I haven't done it recently, but sometimes I imagine the Holy Spirit as my hand. That's how close he is. In fact, he's closer than that because he's actually inside me. But, you know, speak to the hand. <laughs> Just like your hand, you wouldn't imagine that your hand wouldn't travel, you know, you don't, Unscrew your hands and leave them on the table. So I'm leaving you behind today. I'm just going off to work. So the Holy Spirit is with you all the time. And the Holy Spirit wants to drop, you know, his wisdom into your life. Again, we haven't got time to look at it this morning. But just look at Genesis 41 where Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. It's always intrigued me. And I can't be categorical about this, but you know that you know the dream, the seven fat cows and the seven thin cows, the seven, you know, heads of corn and thin heads of corn and, you know, seven becomes seven years of famine, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. But there's a, there's a passage just after his interpretation where he says, and what you, paraphrasing, what you need is a man to, uh, what, who has wisdom, who will supervise this and take a fifth of the grain every year, put it into barns and then we'll be able to feed everybody. It flows straight out of the interpretation. I think that's a word of wisdom. How often do we need words? So you can, vision is great and we need lots of vision, but vision needs wisdom to work it out. There is heaps of wisdom in this place. There's heaps of wisdom already that you can tap into. This is a, this is a wisdom, uh, um, no, that's not the right way. Well, you know what I mean. It's a great place of wisdom. It's available because the Holy Spirit is here and it's available here in buckets. It's available through his word. Right? Some of you, I think if you're doing the reading, we'll get to Genesis 41 if you haven't there already. Any, any, or are you nearly there? I was looking at the website. Yeah. It's coming up or it's got, just gone by, is it? It's coming up. 
Okay, just read that again. Just thought that was God's timing around that. And in 1 Corinthians 12a, it talks about words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Now, we've majored quite a lot around prophecy and words of knowledge, and not so much about words of wisdom. And we need to probably learn the same lessons that we learned about prophecy and words of knowledge around words of wisdom, because they are different. Uh, I've got... uh, Briefly, you know what prophecy is. It majors around your current situation and the future. Words of knowledge often are very specific around sometimes dates, times, very specific details. Often short on detail, but not necessarily. Words of wisdom come as a package. They can be short, they can be long, and they have a kind of different feel about them. I'm saying this because actually there aren't any particular definitions of words of wisdom. But when you, when you look at the wisdom literature in the, the Paul, which is Paul's background, and if you, when you look when God gives wisdom, and we were sitting in an elders meeting some years ago now, and uh, Dave Stevens, didn't he? He said, we we're talking about Pete and Kim and going back to Bethel. And he said, have you thought about going there longer term? Word of wisdom. That one word that then got elaborated on and became three months, you know, uh, trip. Imagine, can you imagine what has come out of that for us? Huge, isn't it? Huge connections, huge relationships, huge blessing. From what? A word of wisdom. Dave has the mind of Christ. Dave is open to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit released that to him. God speaks through his spirit, through his word, through words of wisdom, through words of knowledge, through prophecy. And there's one other I can't remember. No, there isn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm preaching. (laughs) So close to me, I couldn't see it. (laughs) The wisdom that was imparted to the Corinthians, how did it come? It came through preaching, didn't it? So that's why we love preaching, and that's why we're, we're committed to it, because we're releasing the wisdom of God. Shall we pray? Now just go back to that situation, or maybe other situations that occurred to you, as the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you while I've been speaking to you. And say, Father, just drop into my mind the wisdom that I need. Or, Father, if I need to search your word, show me where I should be searching. Speak to me. In the worship, God brought home that wonderful proverb, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Right? Don't lean on your understanding. God's given you a great mind, but he wants to pour his wisdom into it so that you're getting his thoughts and his thinking, the things that Jesus thinks about that situation that you're in and the supernatural knowledge and wisdom that you need in order to unlock it with all of God's creativity and with all his power. He's releasing it to you right now. So take hold of it. And if it's not specific at the moment, then during this day, keep seeking him. During this week. And sometimes, often, God will pop things into your head when you're not even thinking about it. And that's just glorious, isn't it? That's the presence of God amongst you.
Amen.